This is Neil Erwitz. We're here today with Paul Shari, the director of our Technology and National Security Program, to talk about AI and one of our favorite people to talk about, Stephen Hawking. Um, Paul, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And, uh, Paul, you've talked about Stephen Hawking's concerns about uh, AI. You're in the unenviable position of perhaps correcting the smartest person in the history of the world. So um, would you care to have at it again? Can you explain what he said and why he might be a little off base? Sure. So Stephen Hawking recently made waves talking about the dangers of artificial intelligence and how they might pose a threat to humanity. Um, it's not the first time that he's raised these concerns. He's repeatedly talked about artificial intelligence as an existential threat. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because this is a really hot topic of debate in the tech community and the scientific community. And it's one that we chatted about before a couple times, Neil, about people like Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg. Um, we just had Eric Schmidt at our AI summit um, a couple weeks ago, and this topic came up, and, and Schmidt was in a very different place, saying that um, he thought AI would be very beneficial and useful, and, and was fairly um, dismissive of some of these risks. But it's kind of hard to dismiss someone like Stephen Hawking. Um, he's, a, he's a bright guy, so well, what is he seeing that maybe other people in the tech community are not? Um, I think one of them is an issue of time scale. Hawking is looking at things in sort of a a cosmic sense, right? It's sort of looking at things with long timescales. A brief about, history of the universe. Right, yeah, like things along <laughs> millions and billions of years, right? So so he's in some ways thinking about looking at the broad arc of artificial intelligence technology, not just today, but where this might be going in the long term. And what would it mean for a world where um, machines eclipse humans in terms of their intelligence? You know, who knows? Uh, on what time frame that, something like that might occur it could be decades, could be could be centuries, um, but it, you know a, a fair number of researchers in AI think that it's at least you know theoretically possible. I wouldn't say everyone. There's there's debate, but but many do. Let me and let me key off of something you just said there. That you said that um, AI and whether it's you know to grossly oversimplify good or bad is a hot topic of discussion in the tech community and the science community. You pointedly left out the policymaker community there or notably left that out. Um, that is, I understand, the reason that we had this entire AI summit last week. Um, can you talk about uh, what the learning curve is here for the policymaker community and, and what they really need to understand and, and get on? Sure. So there have been some um, you know, discrete conversations underway in the policy and national security community. Um, there's a fairly robust debate underway on the role of automation and machine intelligence in the use of force on the battlefield, um, autonomous weapons, or if you like the more sensational term, uh, killer robots. There are discussions going on uh, this week at the United Nations in Geneva among countries on this topic. But I think that there's, you know, in just the past couple of years, the countries have been debating autonomous weapons. This will be now the, the fourth uh, year of conversations. We've seen AI technology um, really advancing leaps and bounds. And so um, that's a sort of broader conversation where I do think the national security community is still kind of playing catch up in part because the technology is moving so rapidly and we're just trying to understand, well, what is it capable of and how do we think about adapting and competing in this space, not just in terms of um, simple automation, but some of the more advanced um, techniques today, things like deep reinforcement learning that we're seeing 
be very effective in things like AlphaGo Zero that came out a couple weeks ago from DeepMind. Let me um, piggyback then on these uh, UN meetings that uh, that you'll actually be joining very soon. Um, what what do they hope to accomplish, and is it possible for them for the policymakers to catch up with the technology, or or is this a tortoise and or tortoise and the hare? I guess. Yeah, I mean, certainly the pace of, of technology advancement versus the pace of policy is um, is is very different. Um, it is very much a tortoise and a hare kind of race. Um, you know, the the and of course that race, right? They, the tortoise wins because they have uh, to yeah. nap. I don't think the technology is going to take bad, a nap on us. Yeah, right? b- bad analogy. <laughs> so, well, no, but it's it's hard because um, the technology is not slowing down. And so um, a couple of years ago, when international discussions started, in some ways they were pretty proactive and a little bit ahead of the curve. Um, I don't know that that's the case anymore. And you've seen, you know, where do people want this to go? Well, it depends on who they is, right? Um, There's a consortium of non-governmental organizations who want a um, legally binding treaty that bans autonomous weapons. Um, There have been, you know, a couple different letters from scientists and, and, and leaders in the tech community arguing for um, some kind of international solution. One of these letters called for a ban on offensive autonomous weapons beyond meaningful human control. That was the sort of phrase they used. Uh, I don't know that anyone knows what that means. Um, <laughs> the more recent letter didn't call for a ban. It sort of asked the UN to save us from these dangers, which was a little bit vaguer in terms of what the solution should be. I think there's a lot of debate um, about what what policy approach, if any, is really needed? Because there's still there's also I think a strong community of people who say, look, the laws of war protect us in principle, or at least prohibit all of the things that you might be worried about, right? Rogue weapons, running amok, and killing civilians. Like those things would be illegal, and so um, and so you know we should just trust the laws of war, which which. Um, don't depend on specific technologies. And that's, I think, also a really valid point of view. Um, so I think we'll see where the conversations go. It's, it's, been a, it's been a tricky issue because, in part because the technology is moving, but in part because there are so many different um, perspectives at the table. There are many, of course, countries that don't want to see a ban or don't want the technology to be restricted. Putin and Russia, for yeah, instance. Yeah, so for example, like, <laughs> you know, Vladimir Putin earlier this fall talked about how um, Whoever, whoever controls AI will rule the world. It's hard to see uh, convincing him to therefore sign up for some treaty that bans the technology. Or even if you wanted to, how that would even be feasible, given how diffuse it is. And that's one of the objections that people have made. Um, at the same time, I think you know most reasonable people could agree that there are probably limits on what we might want machines to do in warfare and other settings. Um, you know, it's one thing when there's a, a clear right answer um, you know, you probably never want your car to crash into another car. It seems like a great function for automation to avoid accidents. But what about a pregnant woman or a child? Which one would you rather it hit if it has to hit one? Yeah, then there are these sort of moral dilemmas and things. I think, like, this concept all the time in the case of automobiles where people say, well, if the car could, you know, swerve here and hit this or go there and hit that person, what's the right thing? I tend to see those as... Um, in either case, the car is going to be better than a human because it's not like people in the midst of accidents are making these like complex moral judgments, right? Um, in many cases, they're not paying attention to front on the phone or something, which is why accidents happen. <laughs> so the car is going to be better in any case, just reducing harm. Um, 
But there are places where we might want to say, you know, we want humans to be in control or to make these decisions. Um, think about maybe uh, sentencing um, in the criminal justice system, or we might think about um, things like medical treatment and what types of interventions make the most sense. You know, diagnoses make sense for where you want to use this technology, right? Like, you either have cancer or you don't. Um, I want to know the right answer. When you think about the intervention that's appropriate, that might depend on a whole variety of factors, you know, for someone's quality of life or other things, where um, we probably want humans making those decisions. So uh, last question and kind of the, the uh, sum up one. Can we expect anything to really come out of these UN meetings or is, is this just going to be a furthering of the conversation? Um, we'll see. There have been, you know, two significant developments in the last kind of round. Um, in the meetings in 2016, there seemed to be some sort of nascent consensus forming um, around this idea of some degree of human involvement in the use of force. Um, there are different ways of formulating that. Some people like the term meaningful human control. Others uh, don't like that term. They use other variations like appropriate levels of human judgment, which the U.S. government uses. Um, there are kind of different ways of formulating this, but there seems to be some, some gravitating, gra- gravitating in the discussion towards some principle of like blank human blank in the use of force. This idea that, that there is some, some irreducible human element in um, the use of force that's really important. So I think we'll see if we see more conversations in that regard. Um, you know, at a structural level, the conversations have evolved to a more formal body, like a group of governmental experts, it's called. Uh, a GGE, what that means in terms of the substance, whether they'll be able to begin to hammer out, for example, a working definition, which is kind of one of the the things on the to-do list. Um, We'll see. Well, great, Paul. Thanks so much. And uh, when you get back, tell us about it. Thanks.